I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas to me so you can keep every dollar that you've got the best you can. Our website's Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com, both helping you stretch every dollar right now. So the second version of the Payroll Protection Program is now open again, and there's a bigger focus on the big banks that did the program all wrong the first time, in some cases committing what may have been criminal acts and who they helped get access to money. So I think it's going to be a little bit easier navigating the process this time, including non-traditional lenders are in the program. So know that you've got opportunities that didn't exist the first time around to try to get that money. And good luck, because I don't know how long this current third of a trillion will last. And I want to talk to you about something that people turn to in times of uncertainty, fear, or crisis. And I'd say coronavirus fits all three of those. People have been uh, almost the point of panic buying gold. Because gold is a hedge in bad times. And so the price of gold has been moving up, not by huge leaps and bounds, but has been going up. But there's a distortion in the marketplace right now. I need to make sure you know and you're aware of how it plays. There's a new write-up from Bloomberg about how people are getting totally ripped off right now buying actual physical gold. You know, I'll get a lot of calls from people asking me about the right ways to buy gold, and I always talk trash about owning and possessing physical gold. And the reason I do is even in more normal times, you pay a massive buy-sell spread possessing physical gold, but never more than it is right now. In fact, latest data shows that the spread that people are paying above the actual price of gold has tripled in just the last many weeks. So if you are someone who wants to have gold as a hedge, this may be something that you can't get comfortable with but it's my belief you're much better off buying one of the gold funds than you are buying actual physical gold what are known as exchange traded funds which are things you buy like stocks from a discount broker make gold available instead of paying a massive spread like right now listen to this for a single coin the spread right now is $135 over the actual value of gold. So you're throwing away, every time you buy a gold coin, essentially you're throwing away $135. The value has to rise by at least that much just to be at break even with the money you buy. On the other hand, if you buy a gold fund where they actually have the gold stored in a vault that you're buying, they're managing it for you the cost you're paying above the value of gold is so close to zero it's almost not measurable now with the gold funds you end up paying a management fee each year but it's teensy tiny 
compared to what's involved in you trying to safely secure your own goal. It's typical with a gold fund that you pay an annual expense of 17 one-hundredths of 1%, which is basically almost free. There are a handful of these that I've recommended over the years. The iShares Gold Trust actually charges 0.25%, 25 basis points, or one quarter of 1% of the money they handle for you in gold to manage it for you. Another one called the Granite Shares Gold Trust, which you may have heard me talk about before. And there's one I've never talked about, but it's called the Aberdeen Standard Physical Swiss Gold Shares ETF. That also is an ultra-low-cost one. It is, um, it's, you know, not as sizable. The iShares one is the big one of these, holding billions and billions of dollars worth of gold, and that's the one that most people would be familiar with. But the idea is to buy gold as a fund where someone else manages the actual physical storage of it, and you can buy and sell at will. If you own actual physical gold and you want to go sell it, you then have big fees involved and a buy-sell gap at the time you sell it, too. So it's not easily uh, purchased and sold like one of the funds where you have a professional manager doing all that for you, and you don't get the value for each dollar you turn into gold that you would with an ETF, an exchange-traded fund. If you go to Investopedia, read about gold ETFs. It's like the best simple explanation I know that exists about them. And you'll know what to do and how to do it if gold is something you're thinking of buying. But again, even in this time of triple uncertainty, I want you to be careful how much money you put into physical gold. Having too much of your assets in physical gold means that you've lost all confidence in the future of America and the world, and I hope your head isn't there. And we're alternating with Kim and Joel asking questions that you posted for me at Clark.com ask. And Kim, what do you have first today? First today is Jeffrey. Jeffrey says a lot of companies have their employees working from home right now, and that includes financial companies. How do I know that my personal information is safe and that these financial companies have the proper security procedures in place? Is there anything I should be doing? My 401k is down enough on its own. Great question. So financial companies are all using VPNs, virtual private networks, which in theory, should make the ability for a remote worker communicating across their internal network safe. And I say in theory because it seems that data breaches have been such a part of modern life, even before coronavirus, even before remote working. But I am comfortable and confident. One thing I would tell you to do, though, is with any financial account, check your balances Um, well, pretty regularly. So if you historically just wait for a statement to show up, right now maybe you want to check them once a week, not to obsess and say, why should I buy this or sell this, 
just to make sure everything that's supposed to be there is there to put your worries at rest. Joel? Clark David says, I'm curious, why are we only allowed to transfer money from savings to checking accounts six times a month? Yeah. So that bizarro rule was one designed so that banks could fee you to death. And that rule has been put aside, at least for now. And so you are allowed to move money back and forth as much as you want without paying those fees. So here's the thing, though. You generally don't want your savings at where your checking account is for a number of reasons, but let's start with the most important one, that typically if you have your savings at the same place you have your checking account, that is a convenience move on your part, and the bank gouges you for it. They end up paying you virtually 0% on the interest on the money you have in savings. So there's virtually no difference at most banks between what you earn in a checking account, typically zero, and a savings account, which is almost zero. So what you would be better served to do is have your savings with an online bank. You could also have your checking at an online bank if you wished, but at least your savings at an online bank. You link it to your physical bank or credit union, the savings account you have in an online bank, and you can move money back and forth typically over a two-day window. So it doesn't mean virtual instantaneous movement of money, but it means that you're going to earn far more on your savings than you would leaving it with having your savings at the same place you have your checking account. Kim? Hey, Clark, this is a follow-up from last week from the mother, I believe, that was thinking about her daughter getting a job at one of the grocery delivery companies. And Suzanne says, Clark, I so often love your recommendations, but I worry about your claim that the risk for young people of death from COVID-19 is minuscule. We're still learning about the post-recovery effects, including pneumonia, blood clots, and stroke. It's about so much more than just mortality rates. I appreciate that very much. And anytime you talk about from any illness or anything that people could have, and you talk coldly about the stats and the risks and all the rest, it will gloss over consequences that people might suffer that are short of dying. And it is true that one of the shocking things for medical personnel been people who came in completely healthy as young people develop coronavirus and have had terrible, terrible health problems short of death. And that's a fact. It's also true that when you look at the big picture, the reality is that the risks are far, far greater for people past age 50 than they are for people younger. And as you move up each five years from age 50, the risks for both long-term health consequences for people who survive and the possibility of death for people every five years past age 50 just keeps going up exponentially. And past about age 75, the consequences of coronavirus and the potential loss of life are gigantic. 
So when you hear me talk in what I guess can come across as cold terms about as states more and more release people back into work and allow various businesses to open as we do this opening up, it is logical that people that are younger and don't have pre-existing conditions are under far less health risk than people that are older and those that have pre-existing conditions. It doesn't mean there won't be people that will end up with terrible health consequences that are younger. It's just the odds of that are so much lower. Joel? Clark Karen says, since no one is playing any professional sports these days, are any of the cable companies offering refunds or temporary discounts on their sports packages? <laughs> you are a comedian. Maybe you should be doing a comedy routine on YouTube. No, none of the cable monopolies are giving one penny back for the fact that they charge so much of your monthly bill for sports programming that does not exist right now. No, they are holding on to every penny, and it's one of those cases where there's an enormous advantage to you dumping traditional pay TV and going to streaming services, because among the streaming services, there are choices available that are very inexpensive, that are not sports-oriented, but have the other kinds of programming. When sports begin to play again, if you are sports-oriented, you can then switch which streaming service or which, um, which level of a streaming service you have so you can get that programming again. And by the way, it seems increasingly likely that baseball will resume or will play its 2020 season in stadiums with no fans. And I don't know, Joel, you're a big baseball fan. I don't know if you saw what happened in Taiwan, that they are putting fake people in the stands. They're cardboard cutouts. I saw that. Of people in the stands so that as people watch on television, it doesn't look like they're playing in an empty house. It's time for today's Clark Rave. That's where we look at great things or positive things happening in a time that the news is so distressing. I want you to know there's great stuff going on all around us. I want to start with an item. It was something someone posted on our social media. And I'd love for you, if you know about a business or an individual doing really great things, to let me know by posting it. And this was about a bakery in South Central Ohio that is delivering cupcakes to everybody who is having a birthday within their retail trading zone. And it's really fun that to think about right now when nobody's really having things that celebrate these particular milestones in your life, like a birthday or a wedding anniversary or something like that, that Simply Decadent in South Central Ohio is making sure that people have that special moment with these birthday cupcakes being delivered contact-free, you know, where they're protecting people from illness, dropping them off. And then a story that is such a a big deal all around the world is a 99 year old British World War II vet 
has raised $22 million for health workers. $22 million. And he's done this by getting the word out there, and he's still active, walking around on his walker, and he wants people giving money so that doctors and nurses have the protective equipment that they need, that they're in a position to be of service to their fellow citizen who may be stricken by coronavirus. And I love all the efforts, many of which will never be publicized, that are going on all around the United States and all over the world to help out each other during this tough time for us as humans all over the globe. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our websites, Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com, well, we're updating them around the clock, seven days a week. Our team on both websites working very, very hard to get information to you that helps you stretch every dollar right now. And I want to talk about something that may seem counterintuitive. Why would I talk about you buying a vehicle right now? Well, vehicle sales are down by huge percents. And at the same time, somewhere around three quarters of us that are employed look like we're going to continue to be employed. And of that three quarters, the overwhelming percent are not in danger of even later this year facing a layoff because of the type of work you do. So vehicle sales, depending on whose stats you believe, have fallen 55 to 60 percent. And as states open up over the next couple of weeks, more and more vehicle dealers are going to reopen. Many will continue to offer contact-free purchasing and trade-ins of new and used cars. But I will tell you, it's a horrendous time to trade in a vehicle. Um, values of used vehicles are down by what is a huge amount of money in how the car business works, where a quarter of a point move in the value of vehicles were considered to be large. Right now, used vehicles are down around 11%. That is a giant decline in the average value of a used vehicle. New vehicles piled up on dealer lots before factories closed. Automobile factories are reopening before dealers have actually been able to truly go back into business selling. So there's a big overhang of new vehicles. There's a big oversupply of used vehicles. Plus, as I shared with you already about lease vehicles coming back into fleets in huge numbers every week because automakers push leases so much three years ago, it means there's a window of opportunity for buying a newer used vehicle that will likely go on over the next 10 weeks, probably till just a little after the 4th of July, best estimate. So um, May, June, early July, it's going to be a great time for people who are in the market for a vehicle, whether it is new or used. Now, used vehicles, having the kind of drop in value they've had, 
is so unusual and that has a double benefit. When you buy a used vehicle, the first owner has absorbed a lot of the initial value of that vehicle because values drop so quickly early on that you're then in a position to buy a vehicle where a lot of the initial value has been absorbed. You're buying down the curve where the amount of value that the vehicle declines each year is much smaller. And now with the currently depressed prices on used vehicles, even better for you. Now, I still want you to have a used vehicle inspected by a mechanic of your choosing. And that is something that is more difficult right now. But it is something that is just as necessary as always. And be really solid on what a good value would be for that used vehicle by using the car pricing tools that I explain on my used vehicle buying guide at Clark.com. Finance that used vehicle at a credit union. Interest rates are very low right now on used vehicles, but as always the lowest they ever are is at credit unions. If you're going to buy new, a situation that has not been true in about 12 years is that your best financing may actually be from the dealer if the manufacturer has to be sponsored by the manufacturer is offering 0% financing on buying a new vehicle. So you have the potential possibility of getting 0% and getting a very good price, but it's ultra important for you to comparison shop. Dealers now are much more focused on how to do electronic pricing quotes to you, where they're um, online sales operations that were something they most dealers were very reluctant about. They understand today that's how most sales are going to take place. So it's the easiest it's ever been for you to comparison shop by getting price quotes dealer to dealer. Make sure on any price quote you get by email that you get from them all junk fees that are involved in purchasing the vehicle. Often dealers will pull a con on you where they'll quote you a price on a vehicle and then you think that's your price and then it turns out there's another $800 in junk fees or who knows what other charges. So you want what historically has been called drive out price. That's price including the purchase of the vehicle, all junk fees and taxes. So you're comparing the same pricing from place to place that you're getting quotes from. And the way we're answering your questions right now is I want you to post questions for me at clark.com slash ask. Then producers Kim and Joel are alternating asking your questions for you. And who's up now? It's me. This is Kim. And this question is a follow-up on cars. It's from Michael. He says that I advertised my car for sale on a popular website recently, and now I'm receiving inquiries. I'm ready to start providing test drives. Not sure how to do that safely. Also, not sure how to safely sell the vehicle and transfer the title if the DMV is closed. Do you have any suggestions? Yeah, this is messy right now. And uh, you may be jumping the gun on selling that vehicle as a private seller. I think there's an advantage to you waiting till DMV reopens. I think you're going to see... DMVs around the country reopen in the next few weeks. There's a clear trend around the United States for 
various activities to reopen in phases through the month of May. And so it may be to your advantage to wait just a couple of weeks before you proceed. On test drives, there is no easy way to do test drives where you know they're going to be completely germ-free. And it would be reasonable that you would require that anybody test driving be wearing gloves as they're doing a test drive if you're going to turn over the keys to them that normally what people are doing is they're putting the keys on the roof of the vehicle keeping safe distance and the individual should at the time they're getting ready to do the test drive should send you a, a, a text of your of their driver's license so that you at least have that you know there are situations where someone comes to test drive a vehicle and the last thing you see are the taillights of your vehicle as the person drives away. Fortunately, that's a very rare thing, but it's good for you to at least know who is in your vehicle and that you have a copy of the driver's license of that individual. And uh, Kim, I wish I could be more specific with that, but that's the best I can do right now. So let's go to Joel, and what question do you have? Clark, we got one from Sean. He says, first off, thank you for all the help during this crisis. I've been listening diligently to each podcast. He says, recently I've been uh, furloughed due to COVID-19. I've been trying to modify my loan terms with, on my mortgage with my big bank for the past month. They've offered me a forbearance, but the agreement's horrible. It also says that they report to the credit agencies. I've filed a complaint with the CFPB. Is there anything else I can do? So uh, I don't know if your loan is indirectly behind the curtain backed by a federal agency. Almost all mortgages are. The lender involved sounds like they're not following the guidance, but on the forbearance, what lenders seem to be doing, and I've been reading more and more about the guidance the lenders are getting from the, um, the federal regulators, is they're issuing initially either three-month or six-month forbearance periods, saying at first that there will be a lump sum due at the end of the period unless that's not, I'm trying to remember the exact wording, I read it, they're supposed to be reading a specific phrase to you, which means unless that doesn't work for you, basically. And then they negotiate either an extension of your loan or a payment plan on the months that have been missed. That's the guidance from the regulators. And remember, the regulators in this case are also the people behind the curtain who back those loans. So it's one and the same, essentially. And the procedures are supposed to be the same, whether your loan is still in the hands of the original lender who made it to you, or if it's in the hands of what's known as a loan servicer that you send your payments to each month. On the thing about the credit bureaus reporting you negatively to the credit bureaus, that's not how this forbearance is supposed to work. It could be that the individual you're talking to didn't know the real story, but that is the right thing you did by filing a complaint with consumerfinance.gov. And everybody's kind of feeling their way on this because the lenders don't want to be doing this and are trying to be as passive-aggressive as they can with borrowers when they call as they can be. Kim? 
Ron says, I bought my home. He's in California in 2018, and it has appreciated $120,000 since then. Wow. I know. Should I sell it now prior to a collapse of the real estate market, and then I can buy at a lower price point once the dust settles? I could potentially get a better deal on a home if there turns out to be a lot of foreclosures in my area. And from the unemployment numbers, it appears that that will happen. So... As best I can tell, we're not going to see any kind of repeat of 2007, 8, and 9 with the housing bust and all the foreclosures. There were completely different circumstances then. There were an enormous number of houses that were actually unoccupied that had been built that were owned by speculators. We don't have any circumstance like that now. And even with the hardship people are experiencing, The reality is that we aren't going to be in an economic freeze for years. It's going to be measured in months. So the prior question about forbearance lends right into this conversation. A lot of people that are unable to make their mortgage payments now, that's not necessarily going to be the case as we move through the year. So I don't, we don't have an overhang of, supply and we don't have a situation that looks like we're going to have a massive wave of foreclosures so if you like where you're living you have that gain there you're thinking hey i can squeeze this gain out of this by selling it i would tell you better to to enjoy living in that house and let's wait a while and see what actually does happen with the economy but i don't foresee a mass wave of foreclosures Joel? Clark Francis says, what should I do if I think I gave my personal information to scammers recently? I wish I could undo it. Yeah. So first things first, if you don't have your credit frozen, that's the most important thing for you to do. If your information is now in the hands of scammers, you do the most you can to limit the havoc they can cause by putting credit freezes in place with Equifax TransUnion and Experian. What that does is it makes it more difficult for somebody to, to trade on information of yours and buy things or get credit using your information. So at Clark.com, you can go to my credit freeze guide. Just put credit freeze in the search box, skip the ads that'll pop up, and then click on my freeze guide And you can get your credit frozen in about 15 minutes to prevent further harm. If you gave somebody information that you think leads to access to any of your existing accounts, then you need to contact your bank or whoever it would be, credit union, and you may need to have them put in place special procedures or change account numbers for you moving forward. And with credit card companies, That's the automatic. If criminal has in any way access to a credit card number, you need to immediately have them issue a new credit card for you with a new account number. So we're answering your questions on the Clark Howard Show differently than we normally would with producers Kim and Joel alternating, asking questions you posted at clark.com slash ask. And Kim, what you got for me? 
This is from Jackie. She says, hi, Clark. I think I heard you recently advise that we would be wise to take our money from big banks and put it into smaller banks and credit unions. But a friend of mine that works in bonds suggested the exact opposite, saying that smaller banks are riskier because they invest in the now faltering bond market. And if big banks tank, the big banks would be the first on the list for bailouts. What do you think? Well, it's interesting because this is uh, a different flavor of a question that I took last week about whether someone should take their money out of a small bank and put it in a big one because the possibility of bank failures. So there's not conditions that look right for a series of bank failures of big or small or credit unions. There will be more than we've had in recent years when we've had virtually zero, but there's nothing that says the banking industry is structurally unstable and that banks are going to fail in any significant numbers. But the other thing is that your accounts are insured for a quarter million dollars by the FDIC for a bank or NCUA for a credit union. And this is full federal backing of deposits up to a quarter million. So there is no risk to your money at any federally insured institution, bank or credit union. And I believe that you get better treatment and you get better deals with online banks, small banks and credit unions. And that's why I like for you to look at them. Joel? Clark Joe says, I'm hearing talk that the Fed may consider negative interest rates in the near future. I'm fortunate enough to have two years of expenses in a savings account right now, but if rates go negative, I don't want to pay for savings no matter how little the cost. So what am I supposed to do with my cash holdings if this happens? So interesting question about the negative rates. Historically, where the world has seen negative rates, it tends to be opposite of normal things. It tends to be big players, big institutions that end up getting negative rates on their money and not as often individuals. I don't see anything on the horizon where particularly the online banks I was just referring to or credit unions would charge you in order to hold your savings for you. I think we're a long way off from anything like that being a big concern. The podcast normally would end here, but Because of the unusual circumstances we're in, we have additional content that we recorded earlier today that I'd like you to have access to, and this will continue day by day as long as the events warrant. There's a movement in the United States called FIRE. It's very controversial for reasons I don't know, but it stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And... People who are into the FIRE movement have gotten a really bad rap saying that they're just spoiled brats wanting to can work extra early. The reality is the first two letters are the most important, FI, financial independence. It's not about being lazy, not working once you have financial independence. It's about making the choices you wish to make with your life. Well, a lot of people's plans to have financial independence have been sidelined by coronavirus. Maybe they've lost their job. Maybe the money they've been saving, they've invested, now is worth substantially less. Maybe as many 
people are into fire, ha- a lot of them have rental properties. And they have tenants who are not paying rent or only paying partial rent. So people are saying, see, see, we said that movement's stupid. No, actually, think of it this way. As I've mentioned in the past, in many Asian countries, people save roughly 30% to a third of what they make. It's just the way people have lived. In the United States, we have not been a country of savers in a long time. Americans used to save going back mid-last century. Americans saved a third of what they make. We don't do that kind of thing anymore. But the reality is, when hardship hits, when tough times occur, whether it's the Great Recession or it's this time with coronavirus or many other times in the past, those who live with little to no debt and live on half of what they make end up in a position where they are financially secure even when hard times do come. You're going to find that a lot of the companies that survive coronavirus are the ones that did not borrow money and kept good reserves and cash on hand and allow them to ride out tough times. So one thing I hope that turns out to be a good thing following this terrible time that we face both health-wise and financially from coronavirus is that Americans of all types and American companies will all really live with the virtue of living on less than what comes in and not being crazy about borrowing money. The less you borrow, the stronger and more secure it makes you even in tough times. And here's something else I wanted to talk about today. Do you know that most Americans, if they've saved money, it's generally going to be in a retirement plan at work, and most often a 401k. So now, depending on where you live in the country, there's a one in five or one in four chance that you're out of work right now. Your income has pretty much ceased. Many people either already have started receiving unemployment compensation or will. And the unemployment compensation that people are receiving because of the federal overlay is the largest we've ever had ever in a time of unemployment in the United States. But that's not going to last forever. Typically, the longest it'll last is 39 weeks. The federal special overlay is for four months. And so when you're sitting there wondering, how am I going to pay bills? It's really tempting when you lose your job, when you get laid off, to look at taking that 401k and using it. And you've gotten a green light from the various stimulus laws that have been passed because of coronavirus that waive certain punitive penalties that are involved with pulling money out of a 401k. Up to 100 grand, you can pull out and pay no normal federal penalty, which is 10% or 10 grand of that 100. And normally, you are going to owe basically immediately for 2020 federal income tax on all the money that you pull out. 
So it's a brutal level of tax that costs the average taxpayer somewhere around 40%. And then you may owe state taxes as well. So it's a lot of money that you owe in tax. But right now, you can pull the money out, not pay the penalty, and the tax bill is spread over three years. And and if you get back on your feet, because coronavirus isn't forever, and you can afford to, you can pay back, and whatever you pay back into your 401k plan, there's no tax, no penalty. So it's made it extra tempting and made people feel like there's a green light to go grab your 401k money. So think of it as a priority of needs. The 401k money uses a tool that is available to you, but not as an early tool. So if you do establish eligibility for unemployment compensation, then ride that and hopefully at some time in the 39 weeks, that is what it is in most states, you will get back on your feet with a job or you'll be called back to the job you had. But if times stay desperate and you run out of other ways to handle this and what you're left with is pulling money out of the 401k, then that could be a step you take. But before that, negotiate forbearance with your mortgage company if you're a renter, See if you can get some kind of relief on your rent. Um, take advantage of the credit card programs that allow you temporary payment holidays, if available, from card issuers you have. In other words, I'm putting the 401k borrowing way, 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 way down the priority list, even though you have this special green light to do it. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.